The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. This weekend, just for, for my life, this time, August 5th, 6th, and 7th, is, is always going to be this a great time for me. August 5th, two years ago, we launched two couples um, to the Arabian Peninsula. They're about to come back, and two weeks from today, they'll be sharing in Creekside about their first term. And one of them texted me this morning, something I'll tell you a little bit later, about a guy he's sharing Christ with. Then two years ago today, my wife and I um, got to Austin about 3.15 a.m. that morning, and 3.20 a.m., a nurse walked into the waiting room we were in and handed us our, our last child. We used to say our fifth, but let me say our last <laughs> child, Will Hudson. And so he turns two today, praise God, and tomorrow will mark 18 years that my wife has put up with me. So y'all pray for her, because I hope she's got to put up with me a lot more. So it's been a great, great weekend, and we've got a great question in front of us. So Terry, we'll just look at this first slide. How will they know? What about those who have not heard? And we're going to go really a lot through the book of Romans today. We'll start in chapter 1, because that's where the book of Romans starts. And people talk about the book of Romans, and sometimes theologians will say, some of, you, some of you are catching that, right? So theologians will say Romans is this doctrinal treatise that Paul makes. Others say it's the story of Israel and the church. Since I'm the missions pastor, I'll say that Romans is a way too long missionary support letter. And we're, we're going to see that today. It's a hard question what about those who've never heard? And really, there are kind of two questions behind this that I think are important and we'll address a little bit later. What about those who've never heard? What about that guy in the mountain tribe in Asia who's never heard about Jesus? Are you telling me that that guy, he lives and dies, never hears? You tell me he doesn't get an automatic free pass? Is that what we're actually saying? Is, is God fair? And then another question I think this brings up is that if it's the case that those who've never heard get a free pass, what about the coworker who's just moved to America from another place or maybe just moved to Texas from another city and they've never heard the gospel? If those who've never heard get a free pass, should you even tell them about Jesus? Because then wouldn't that bring condemnation on them potentially if they didn't trust Christ? So we'll hit those three questions really today, but let's start in Romans 1. We'll start in verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I hear, I hear people sometimes say, I want a revelation from God. I just love to get a new revelation from God. I'd like to hear something new, learn something new, implying really that the Scripture is not enough. And you've got to be careful what you ask for because this says that the wrath of God is revealed. That's a revelation coming from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power 
and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Well, God, as we answer this question today, give us grace to know and understand how wise you are, how wonderful you are, and that the fate of those who've never heard rests better in the hands of a risen Christ and the wisdom of an almighty God than it does in our hands or our wisdom. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what does Romans 1 tell us about those who've never heard? So we'll go to the next slide. Everybody knows there's a God. Everybody knows there's a God. That's just the reality. That's what Romans 1, 19 tells us. Terry, we won't have to go to all the Scriptures. We're going to look at our apps or in our Bibles today because they're a little bit messed up on the slides. Everybody knows there's a God. Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's evident. He has set eternity in our hearts, the Scripture says. How has He done that? By His invisible attributes. Look in verse 20. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. God has not been ambiguous about His existence. Well, how long has He not been ambiguous ever since the creation of the world. Again in verse 20, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. What is clearly shown? His eternal power and His divine nature, the things that have been made. See, God has made clear through creation that He is God. He's made it blatantly obvious. Everybody knows there's a God. God has not left Himself without a witness. God has not left himself without a witness. Just some photos. Let's pop up this first one. God has not left himself without a witness. This is in Grand Tetons National Park, and it proclaims plainly that there is a God. Let's look at the next picture. Another shot from a similar area. So we'll go to that next slide. He has not left himself without witness. But what about places where people have not heard? Let's go to the next slide. These are mountains and a river in Pakistan. In Pakistan, where many tribes have yet still to hear, God has not left himself without witness. What about Myanmar? This is a sunrise, this next one in Myanmar. God has not left himself without witness. What about in Bangladesh? Here's of this crazy-looking little animal called a chameleon. It's got these eyes that move all over, changes colors. God has not left himself without witness. And then one of my personal favorite animals, I don't want one as a pet or anything. I just think they're beautiful. This is a snow leopard in the mountains of Nepal. Primarily Hindu, many hard, hard-to-reach places. And God has not left himself without witness. It's in the things that have been made. Let's look at the crown jewel of his creation. Just some photos of of beautiful people from around the world. So here's a guy from a Muslim background. The next one I think is of a Hindu man, and he's got some nice shades on. See, God has not left himself without witness in the beautiful people that he's made. We ourselves are a testimony. Let's just go through these next several pictures. God has not left himself without witness. He's... He's not left himself. This is in Indonesia where the gospel is beginning to spread amazingly. And then here's the thing. Sometimes you see the most unnatural thing. This is on the border. This is on the border of India and Pakistan after an earthquake. And these are 
Muslims helping Muslims, and then the next picture is of some Christians helping Muslims. And here's what you need to know, that even in the most hard-to-reach places, God has not left himself without witness. God's made himself known. He's made himself known. This is why sometimes popular atheist authors really don't come off like they're atheists. They come off like angry theists. They don't come off like they don't believe that God exists because if God doesn't exist, why would they be mad at him, right? They come off as people who really probably in their heart of hearts believe there is a God and they're just mad. Maybe they've been wounded, maybe some pain in life. Maybe they don't like the way he has arranged the world or that the sun comes up or say that they're breathing and they're just mad at God. There's a reason they come off as angry theists rather than as true atheists. And and the answer is because they are. They are. Now, they could pass a lie detector test saying, no, I don't believe because the heart of man is deceitful above all else. But in, in the heart of man, everybody knows there's a God. Everybody knows there's a God. Therefore, everyone is without excuse. Everyone is without excuse. He's shown himself through the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So though they knew there was a God through what has been made, they don't honor God or give thanks to him. They don't worship and don't have grateful hearts. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1.22 says, And they exchanged the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. People worship creation. Maybe they worship the sun. Maybe they worship their ancestors. Maybe they worship a great dead teacher. Or maybe as secular humanists do, they just worship humanity. He says, though they know there's a God, they've turned their hearts away. So Chase, come on. Come on, what about the man, the innocent guy from the mountain tribe in Asia? See, people have used this over and over and over. What about the innocent guy from the mountain tribe in Asia? Well, the answer is the innocent guy from the mountain tribe in Asia, he goes to heaven according to the Scripture. The problem is there are no innocent guys. There are no innocent guys. And as you go through the book of Romans, you see this reality. So we'll go to this next slide. All people, all people need help from outside themselves to be found innocent, righteous, and justified in the sight of God. All people need help from without themselves or outside themselves to be found righteous, justified, innocent in the sight of God. That's really what Romans 1, 2, and 3 state. Romans 1, 2, and 3 state that. I think there's a slide with that, Terry, but I'm, I'm not certain. So let's look in Romans 3, as it tells us there are no innocent people. In Romans 3, about verse 9, Paul goes through this, this quoting of a psalm where he's showing that there's no one innocent. And then in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. 
all the excuses, all the arguments, every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now righteousness of God, verse 21, has been made known apart from the law. Though the law and the prophets bear witness or they testify about it. Every mouth is stopped before God. There are no innocent people. We turn away very naturally. We need God to draw us to himself. We need God to draw us to himself. So we need help. What about those who've never heard? They need to hear, and they need to hear about a man, Jesus. Terry, if you'll jump to the slide, it says, Jesus Christ is the one who redeems us from our sin. He makes atonement. He is our substitute. He is our substitute. Let's continue in Romans 3, verse 21. The law and the prophets bear witness to this righteousness that comes from God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and me and everybody that's been created in the history of the world was created to give God glory and to be joyful about it, and we fall short of that. We fail at it. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24, says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our redeemer. He's our substitute. He is the one who redeems us from our sin. He makes atonement. One theologian says this, on the cross, Jesus took on himself that separation from God, which all other men know. He didn't deserve it. He had done nothing to warrant being cut off from God, but as he identified himself totally with sinful humanity, the punishment which that sinful humanity deserved was laid fairly and squarely on his shoulders. That's why he shrank in Gethsemane from drinking the cup offered to him. He knew it to be the cup of God's wrath. On the cross, Jesus drank that cup to the dregs so that his sinful people might not drink it. He drank it to the dregs. He finished it. He finished the bitter cup, both physically and spiritually. Here's the bill, and on it the word finished, paid in full. The debt is paid. The punishment has been taken. Salvation is accomplished. See, Jesus is the way and the only way for us to find redemption. That's why the message of the gospel has got to go forth from the church because he's the only way. Now, there are times when people hear this. There are times when people hear this and, and they say, that's a cruel God. That's a cruel God that would send his son to be killed so that people could be saved. They, the phrase they like to use is it's cosmic child abuse. But Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It was love that moved the Father. It was love that moved the Son to lay his life down. What would be horrible is a God who would send his Son to die if there was another way. That would be awful. If the death of Christ could have been avoided for the salvation of humanity and it wasn't, that would be horrible. 
But it was necessary. It was necessary. And Jesus rose from the dead, and that changes everything. That changes everything. So the gospel has to go out. The gospel has to go out. So maybe in our minds, the question would then move from what about those who've never heard to what are we doing as a church about those who've never heard? Romans 10. Romans 10. Turn over there, and Paul Paul tells the people in the church in Rome that the Word of God is near. It's in our heart, and it's on our lips. And he says in verse 13 of Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, but how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? So if they're to call on Him and be saved, they have to believe. How can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? If they're to call, they have to believe. And then the next question, how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? So if they're to believe, they have to hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If they are to hear, someone's got to go and preach this message. See, Jesus uses His church so that those who've never heard can hear and believe. Jesus uses His church so that those who've never heard can hear and believe. Hearing is necessary. Hearing is necessary. And God is doing amazing things. When we say He's not left Himself without witness, as if the mountains and humanity and snow leopards and chameleons were not enough, Over and over and over in the Muslim and Hindu world in the last 15 or 20 years, in fact, I got an email this week from one of our men, a missionary had shared about. It's a similar story that Muslims and Hindus are having dreams and visions and missionaries are going and proclaiming the gospel to them. And over and over and over, you're hearing about these people who are saying, I've dreamt of a man with a long beard dressed in white and holes in his hands who told me someone was coming to tell me about him so that I could be saved. In different cultures, in different languages, and it's almost always among first-generation believers as the church begins to grow and exist in those places, the proclamation of the gospel is how people come to know Christ. God has not left himself without witness in these places, but even when these people have their dreams and visions, they're waiting on someone to come and tell them. And hearing changes everything. Hearing changes everything. See, how will they hear without a preacher? Now, I want you to hear, if we ask, what about those who've never heard? What about those who've never heard? Well, if the answer is, if they've never heard they get a free pass to heaven, they're not condemned, then I've got to tell you, the Great Commission is a really, really bad idea. Missions is a horrible idea. Why in the world would we send people, put them at risk in places like Nigeria, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Yemen, Sudan? Why would we do that? Here's what it would look like. If if not hearing means that you get a free pass, somebody comes into your workplace, maybe they come into your school, 
and they're from a country and they've never heard, or they're from a place in America where the gospel's not being preached and they've never heard, what you would need to do is walk up to them and go, hey, have you, have you heard of Jesus? And if they go, no, who is that? Never mind, don't ask. And if anybody tells you, run, get away, don't listen. Because in not hearing, then they'd have a free pass. And if they hear and reject, they might be condemned. See, that concept... That concept makes foolishness of just about the entire New Testament and the mission of God and His people. God has made Himself known so people are without excuse. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation that Jesus died for the sins of all men and women and He rose from the dead. And if we put our faith and hope in Him, we can be part of His people, have eternal life and be with Him forever. See, how will they call on him in whom they've not heard? How will they, how will they believe? How will, they call, how will they call and believe if they've never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go and tell. But then for everybody who goes, there have to be people who send and people who pray. And Jesus' disciples are motivated by holy ambition so that those who've never heard can hear. Jesus' disciples are motivated by holy ambition. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Paul's sharing with the Roman church toward the end of this letter. He wants to come and see them. He hopes to come and see them, but he really wants to get to Spain. He really wants to get to Spain so that they can hear. In Spain, because they have not heard. Jesus' disciples are motivated by holy ambition. Verse 20, he says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I want to go and preach the gospel where it's never been heard, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. They're having dreams and visions. And those who've never heard will understand the gospel is going out. So Jesus' disciples are motivated by a holy ambition so that those who've never heard can hear. So that those who've never heard can hear. We've got, we've got people that we're sending and partnering with all over the world. That begs the question, well, Chase, do you want everybody to go and do missions? No, or I don't. When, when my wife and I, others in the church and I, begin to train young adults for missions, one of the things that we tell them is before you think about going, what you need to understand is God's heart for the nations is not a matter of geography. It's a matter of passion for his name to be known. It doesn't matter where you live. For everybody that goes, it takes between 50 and 100 families to send them. And they will tell you that the history of missions is a history of answered prayer. So it takes people on their knees. Well, Chase, can one church really make a difference? Can one church really make a difference? I had some maps I was going to show you about what Paul did, but... I'm not going to show you those. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you just about this church that we're privileged to be part of, and specifically one lady who was part of our church and passed away 
recently. She was single all her life. She was a school teacher at Temple for over 40 years, and she died at the ripe old age of 88 years old. And this single school teacher left a portion of her estate to Temple Bible Church missions that ended up totaling just over $300,000. She prayed for missionaries. Some dear friends of hers told me since she died she would give sometimes $10, $15, $20 a month for missions, and she made a decision that she was going to leave this. And so Bill, who is up here and who is over at Creekside talking recently about this great work where there's a country in the Middle East where there are 21 million people in 10 provinces and no church, well, we're partnering with him as he trains Arab church planners. And so from that estate gift, we've given $50,000 to launch churches into one of the hardest places in the world. Each of our missionaries is getting a little extra gift. Our partners in Rwanda, our partners in Ukraine, one of our missionaries with a big family who, who drive on roads that are just horrible, ended up receiving a vehicle that they could travel better on, all because a lady who was single all her life and taught school and prayed for missionaries said, you know what, at the end of my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a big gift. And the gospel's gone forth. I don't know that she ever traveled out of America, may have never traveled out of Texas. But her life and in her death impacted the nations. Yes, yes, one church can make a big difference. See, John Piper says this, when it comes to those who've never heard, we can go, send, pray, or disobey. You can go, send, pray, or disobey. That's what we can do. We can go, send, pray, or disobey. It's not that we've all got to move to a desert where it's 150 degrees in the summer and there's no indoor plumbing. Some of you might. Um, I don't have a lot of friends when I invite people to that, though. There's no telling where God might lead you to go, but he might lead you to stay right here. Even as I look out and see Wendy Wolf went to Tanzania several years ago. She met a guy there named Philip Nassari. Philip Nassari shares the gospel in unreached villages in Tanzania. He plants churches there through digging water wells. And I don't even know how many. Wendy, how many wells have y'all dug now? 42 wells. So that means 42 villages have heard the gospel because somebody went on a short-term trip and got excited about the work that God was doing there. And so what about those who've never heard? The answer is they're hearing. They are hearing. But so many more need to hear. So many more need to hear. We're going to go from Romans to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Last point you see there in your bulletin is that God will draw people to himself from among those who have yet to hear. God will draw people to himself from among those who have yet to hear. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, there's this great picture of what's happening in heaven at this moment that John gets this picture. 
And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It was a multitude that could not be counted from where? From all tribes and peoples and languages. God will draw people to himself from among those who've not yet heard, and he will do it through the church, sending out some of our best to make much of Jesus among the nations. So here's some questions that we'll ask in application. What about those who've never heard? How are we going to make a gospel impact for the good of those who haven't heard? How are we going to make a gospel impact for the good of those who haven't heard? How's God going to use my family to do that? How's God going to use your family to do that? How are we going to make an impact for those who've never heard? Second question for application, how can we continue to share with those around us who have heard? How can we continue to share with those around us who have heard? One of our One of our missionaries sent me a text this morning, and it was a picture of one of his friends playing with his kids. He lives in an Orthodox Muslim nation, been there for a couple of years, and his friend was coming to say goodbye before he and his wife come home for about a month, and he he said, I'll see you after America. If I die, pray God forgives me. And this TBC worker, he said, I I just looked at him and, and said, What I'm going to pray is that you'll see the truth about your sin and my sin. What I'm going to pray is that you'll see that you and I need Jesus and that he has made a way through his death and resurrection for us to be saved. That's what I'll pray for you. And he said, I have some friends back in Texas who'll pray for you as well. He said, thank you. Yes, please pray for me. This guy's name is Yasser. So pray for Yasser. As our goers share, he's heard. He's heard. Heard from another brother today in, at TBC that was telling me about someone he's sharing the gospel with. How are we going to use our lives among those who have heard? Maybe it's our neighbor. Maybe it's our coworker. Maybe it's someone in our home. Maybe someone in our school. Maybe it's an old friend that we know needs Christ. Maybe it's a family member. See, there's a hymn that we used to sing. It says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else would do. And I think sometimes we've replaced that hymn and we sing, I'm scared to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I'm scared to tell the story, although I know it's true. For if I tell the story, I just might offend you. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, salvation for all who believe and all people everywhere are without excuse. They need to hear this good news story more than they could know. Is there someone in your place of work that you could tell tomorrow? Last question. How can we leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel among those who have not heard? How can we leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel among those who have not heard? 
Sometimes we hear stories about people like R.G. Letourneau, who's this amazingly successful businessman, so much so that he gave 90% of his money away for the sake of Jesus among the nations. Well, if I gave 90% of, of my money away, I couldn't eat, right? Which would be okay for a few weeks, but that'd be a problem after a while. So most of us are not going to be that guy. That's not what I'm really talking about unless you are that guy and you can then praise God, but that's not going to be most people. How can you and I leverage our lives? That's a great question to ask. What can I do to leverage my life for the sake of Jesus being known among the nations? And finally, maybe you're here and you've heard the gospel and you've not yet believed And I want to tell you today, I hope that you've heard very clearly that there's some bad news for you, that God has made himself known. It's evident and clear that he exists. And so just like me and everybody else in here, you're without excuse. The whole world is accountable to God. But there's a righteousness from God that comes through Jesus who died and rose from the dead so that you and I might believe this good news and have hope in him, eternal life in him a place in his family here on earth, and a place with him in eternity. That's the best news ever. If you don't know him, I hope you'll know him and trust him today. I hope you'll repent and believe in him today. Let's pray. God, I pray right now for people who have yet to hear the gospel, and they're in Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist nations and Literally, missionaries are weeks from being there. And God, I pray you'd continue to do this amazing, miraculous, mysterious work of of giving dreams and visions of your son Jesus so that when they hear, they can believe and put their hope in him. God, I pray for our workers who are on the front lines of the missions world. God, I pray you'd give them boldness, that you give them love for the people around them, that you give them wisdom, that you'd open doors for them that no one could shut. And God, I thank you for this sweet little old lady who gave one last gift that is impacting the nations and will do so for years after her death. God, I pray for people in this room that don't know you, Father, that they might recognize and understand the gravity of their eternal situation. God, that you draw them to you that they might repent and believe. And God, I pray for us as a church, Lord, as we continue just to press in to know Christ and make him known. God, help us always ask all the more, how can we leverage our lives for the sake of the gospel among the nations? Give us wisdom, God, as we go our way and seek to make your name known, Lord. So there's a day, and there could be a day, when we wouldn't have to ask this question anymore, because everybody would have heard. Lord, let us labor toward that great goal. In Jesus' name, amen. And you are dismissed.